Before I preach about hope, I, I want to just bring some clarity because I got to be honest, as I was meditating on this thought and this weekend, I, I realized that our English language isn't really doing us any favors when it comes to understanding hope. You know, how many of you know there's a difference if I say, I, I know something's going to happen, or if I say, um, I hope it happens? One sounds really confident and certain, the other one not so much, right? <laughs> And the reality is we can look at the word hope that way. Like, you know, I don't really, I don't really know. I hope it happens. But can I just say, I don't want you to go through this service and, and me be declaring hope is alive. And you're thinking, so you're saying there's a chance. Like, <laughs> not what I'm saying. I'm not saying there's a chance. In fact, the Greek word that, that is translated as hope in our English language from the New Testament, which the New Testament was written in Greek originally, the word is elpis, and that word means an assurance of the future. It means an assured anticipation. In other words, it's not the way we typically look at the word hope. It's a confidence. You can have assurance of your hope today. So when I talk about hope, I want you to know that's, that's the way I'm looking at that word. <clears throat> and, and I want you to know that the empty tomb that we're talking about ought to give us an assurance that we can believe in and have confidence in. And the reality that I want you to grab today, one thought really in this message, I want you to know today that hope, that confident assurance, hope meets you where you are. Now, wherever that might be, hope meets you where you are. And I think that's so important for us to grab because we probably have all felt a shifting in where we are. Over the course of the last year, we felt a lot of things change, and, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about news. I, I, I'm certain of this. You don't need any information for me from the news cycle. You don't need any more details or stats about COVID-19 or political crisis or, or racial tension in the world. I only bring this up because I know historically that what we've experienced in the last year is not the first time that there's been a global pandemic. Not the first time. It's happened before, and I'm sure it'll happen again. But usually when we fight a common enemy, as a nation, we're united. But how many of you know it hasn't felt that way over the last year? <clears throat> it hasn't felt like we've been united. In fact, it feels like the, the current circumstances that we're facing has, has, has ripped a seam in the fabric of our society. Or, or maybe, maybe perhaps it's just revealed how threadbare we really already were. More vulnerable than we realized. And so as I think about that reality, I, I'm also reminded today that, that before COVID-19 and, and all things that we've just lumped into the category of 2020, before all that, there were other things in life that steal our hope. And because of the new problems and the popular problems came along in the news cycle, how many of you know the other ones never went away? And, and so while some people are very concerned today and, and spending a second Easter watching online and, and still not comfortable coming into a house of worship. While that reality is going on, I know there are still people that are dealing with marital issues. There are people that still have problems with their kids. There are people that are still struggling with their finances and with their job and uncertainty about their future and about their health for other reasons besides COVID-19. So the reality is true <clears throat> that we all need hope. And here's the message of Easter even if you've lost your hope, hope hasn't lost you. 
In fact, the, the narrative of Scripture continually communicates this one thought, that God wants to come to us. In fact, I, I want to just tell you quickly several ways that God wants to meet us where we are. The, the first is in creation. You open up to the very beginning of your Bible, and you see the story of God making mankind in his own image. Male and female, he made them. Now, if God just wanted to make people to be like him, how many of you know he could have made them and given them a place with him? He certainly could have made room in the heavenly expanse for humanity, but he didn't do that. God made them, and it says he placed them in the garden. He gave them dominion over the earth. He gave them their own place. And then the Bible says very clearly in Genesis chapter 2, God walked with them in the cool of the day. In other words, God's desire for humanity was that he could have a people that he could go and meet with. And then, of course, we know what happened in the garden was sin came into the story of humanity. And sin separates us from God. I know we like to talk about all the problems in the world, but can I tell you, there's just one. It's a sin problem. Just one problem. And it manifests in like Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors. But it's just one problem. It's sin. And that's why the Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time or at the appointed time, God sent his son into the world. God didn't just come to meet us in creation. He came to meet us in the incarnation. He came to be with us. Again, Jesus could have just came strolling in on a golden chariot. He could have rolled down on clouds, throwing out blessings to all the little human people. But no, that's not what he did. He was born in Bethlehem's manger. He dwelt among us 700 plus years before Jesus was even incarnate in the flesh. Isaiah the prophet wrote about his coming. Now, I want to read Isaiah's description of what it looked like for Jesus to come near us in creation. <clears throat> and let me forewarn you, if you've never read this before, this may burst your bubble of what Jesus looks like. If you grew up in Sunday school coloring pictures of Jesus, this is probably going to make you question your teachers, or at least the curriculum. Because we get this beautiful image of this godly-looking man who's strapping and muscular and tall, dark, and handsome. And that's not what Isaiah saw, and that's not exactly what the Bible says Jesus was like. And we don't know exactly what he looked like, but here's a pretty good clue. Isaiah 53 in verse 2 says, He grew up before them like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Now, let's not take it too far. I'm not saying Jesus was some gangly-looking, you know, snaggletooth Jewish guy. But the reality is our, our idea of Jesus is that, you know, he's this incredible, you know, like, like, Marvel's superhero, like Thor, just shows up and everybody just looks at him and goes, wow, look at that guy's hair. Look at that guy's olive skin. I mean, look at his ripping muscles. No, no, no. The Bible says if you would have seen Jesus, he would have looked like every other guy. Why? Because hope comes to meet you where you are. Hope doesn't say, don't you wish you could be like me. Hope shows up and walks in shoe leather. And lives among us. And so God comes to meet us in creation. He comes to meet us in the incarnation. But then he comes to meet us in salvation as well. And look at the next verse in Isaiah 53. Because the prophet says this about Jesus. He was despised and rejected 
by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. They're talking about people's perception of Jesus. And and I don't know about you, but I thank God for that verse. I thank God for this description of what it was like for Jesus to be a man, because here's the truth of it. If we, if Jesus came and, and he didn't experience what we felt, if Jesus wasn't familiar with pain, if he never faced rejection, if he never had hardship or difficulty, and then he shows up on the scene as the God man, and he does what we can't do by dying and coming back to life. How many of you know that story just makes him even more unrelatable? Like, okay, you're God, I'm not. We get it. But that's not the way God comes. God shows up and he, he experiences the feelings of our infirmities. He deals with what we dealt with. It's the message that God wants to come near to us. He came to be like us so that we could be like him. Let me tell you one more way that God shows up, not just in creation or or in the incarnation or in salvation, but the Bible gives us a picture at the very end of the book, in the book of Revelation, about what it calls the culmination. This is the end of all time. This is is a fast-forward view of what it's going to look like in days to come. And contrary to what popular opinion is, our eternity is not going to be a forever bliss in heaven with God. Most people would just assume that that's the Christian view, that we're just going to die and then we're going to go to heaven and we're going to be there forever. Well, the truth is you will die unless Jesus comes before then and you will go to heaven, but that's a temporary heaven. In Revelation chapter 21, the Bible speaks of a new heavens and a new earth. And it underscores this reality that from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, God's plan was to meet us where we are. To not just snatch us away to forever be in his presence. But the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21 in verse 3, speaking about the culmination of the end times, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The new Jerusalem is going to come down and be established on the new earth. What am I saying? I'm saying in, in creation. I'm saying in, in, the, in the incarnation of Christ, in his coming to bring us salvation. And even at the end days, at the culmination of time, God's heart is to come meet with you. And the hope of Easter is that God meets us where we are. And so I want to talk about what it looks like in the lives of some of God's people to be met by the resurrected Lord. And and I want to talk about the first men to experience the resurrected Lord, and I want to talk about the first women. Yeah, amen. Shout out for women of God. (laughs) Let's talk about the women first. Is Is that a good order? That's okay. We'll go with that. Let's talk about the women first. John chapter 20. If you have your Bible, you can turn here with me. We'll continue to put these on the screen behind me, but... John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, here's what it says. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, 
We don't know where they put him. John chapter 20 goes on to say, Peter and John got that news. They ran to the tomb. They looked in. They saw that Jesus' body wasn't there. They saw the grave clothes he had been wrapped in laying there neatly folded. Then they went running back to tell the other disciples. But as they're coming back, Mary's just getting there for the second time. And so now Mary's at the tomb again, and so this time she's by herself. And let's pick it up in verse 11. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over and she looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking that Jesus was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Can I declare to you today, it's one thing to know that the tomb is empty, but it's another thing entirely to hear the risen Savior call your name. I mean, Mary's here at the tomb, and, and she sees he's gone, and there's the grave clothes, and she just had a supernatural encounter with two angels, but she's still in tears because she longs for her Savior, and then suddenly Jesus calls her name. Can I tell you what Jesus is up to on Easter Sunday, 2021? Jesus is calling people by name. That's what he's doing right now. Amen. He's calling people by name. Some of you, it's been the goodness of God. It's been his faithfulness that, that compelled you to come on Easter Sunday morning and say, I got to give God some praise. I got to worship God today. He's been so faithful to me. That's God calling you in his goodness. Uh, maybe you're not even here by desire. Maybe you're here out of obligation today. But as this choir began to worship, as they began to sing about the hope that we have in Jesus and cry out and say, God, I'm not enough unless you come. Would you meet me? Maybe you felt a desire to sing along, to say, you know what? I've never even said those things to God, but it feels right. And, and I want to I add my voice to this prayer. That's God calling you. That's Jesus saying, this is right. Call on me, and I'll show you great and mighty things that you do not know, Jeremiah 33, 3 says. And he's saying, call unto me. For others of you, it's even in this sermon that I'm preaching right now. I'm speaking to a lot of people in a lot of situations today, but something I'm saying speaks so specifically to you that you're questioning if I was digging through your mailbox this week. Why is he talking to me? Why does he keep looking at me? That's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm not that accurate of a communicator. That's the Holy Spirit of Jesus. He's calling you. He's calling. He's dealing with your heart. And for others of you, it, it hasn't been the goodness of God, and it has been, hasn't been the singing of the choir, and it hasn't been the preaching of the pastor. For some of you, it's been pain. It's been loss. It's been heartache that brought you to this moment that brought you to a place of looking and listening for the voice of Jesus. I've discovered in my life that pain is God's megaphone for getting our attention. Anybody else found that to be true? I mean, you know, sometimes we remember to thank God in the good moments, but let, let disaster strike and everybody's a prayer warrior. 
You know, let hardship come. And all of a sudden, boy, we know how to ring the heavens. We, we know how to call on God. Some of you have a prayer handle in your car. You know, it's that handle you grab every time you pray. You know, when, when you're going through a traffic light and, and it turns red and oncoming traffic and you grab that thing and you hold on for dear life, all of a sudden for the first time in weeks, you start praying. That's your prayer handle right there. <laughs> Some of you, that's your cussing handle, but we won't talk about that. Because every time you grab it, well, we know what happens. But in all different ways, God is calling you. Jesus is calling you today. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Can I just echo that admonition today? If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Mary heard his voice, and it wasn't until that moment everything changed. I think about the, the first man to experience the resurrected Lord, and, and the Bible tells us very specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 5, and also in Luke 24, it says that Jesus appeared to Peter first and then to the other apostles. That amazes me. And maybe like me, you know what happened before the cross and the resurrection. And knowing what Peter did this weekend, it astounds me that Jesus would appear to him first. Because Jesus had told the disciples before he was arrested, he said, all of you are going to fall away on account of me. You're, you're all, you're all going to run away. You're all going to fail. And when he said that, Peter actually corrected him. How many of you know it's never a good idea to correct the Son of God? Just... Just jot that in the margin, just a life hack, you know, bullet point. Don't do that. Peter says, no way. Far be it from me. He said, even if all of, he throw them all under the bus. Even if all fall away, I'll never forsake you. And, and Jesus looked at him. And he said, Peter, before the rooster crows twice this night, you'll deny three times that you even know me. And as you read the story, it's exactly what happened. Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was taken uh, on trial. And, and Peter's following at a distance, Luke tells us. He's following at a distance, and, and Jesus is beginning to be uh, yelled at and punched. And they beat him over the head with, with a stick, and they plucked his beard out of his face, and they mocked him. They put a crown of thorns on his head, and, and Peter is hanging out in the courtyard. And one by one, people start coming up to him saying, hey, aren't Aren't you with that Galilean? Peter said, no, 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 I, I don't know that guy. Somebody else comes to him. No, I can tell by your accent. You're from Galilee. You're with, you're with the teacher. No, man, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. And apparently at some point in all of that, a rooster crowed once. And even with that alarm bell sounding in his ear, it wasn't enough to keep him from denying Christ a third time. And the Bible says the third time somebody asked Peter if he was a follower of Jesus, and he cursed them. And immediately the Bible says Jesus looked across the courtyard and he locked eyes with Peter. Can you imagine what that stare must have felt like? You want to talk about crawling into your skin. Oh, gosh, I've blown it. I've blown it. And then the rooster crowed. But the reality is, Jesus still appeared 
to Peter on Sunday. I can't think of anybody, anybody who has failed Jesus more than Peter, except Judas. Judas was the other disciple, and, and he was so riddled with guilt because he denied Jesus and, and, and sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. He never made it to Easter Sunday. The Bible says that he was so guilt-ridden that he went out and he hung himself. And you know what I believe? I believe if Judas hadn't hung himself, that Jesus might have appeared to him first. And can I just say, I don't know your story, I don't know your history, but I thank God that you held out hope for Sunday. There's too many people that have just called it in. There's too many people that gave up hope. There's too many people that have committed suicide and taken their own life because they felt like that there was, there was no recourse. There was no recovery. There's, there's no resurrection after what I've done. But thank God that you're here. Thank God that you're listening, that you're giving God one more chance to speak resurrection life to you. I believe that if Judas would have just held on to hope, Sunday would have changed everything. But he gave up. But Peter held on. And so when the angel was sent from heaven all the way down to deliver the message of the resurrected Lord, God had a very specific, inclusive clause for failures. And it ought to give hope to every person that feels like they've blown it. When the angels was there at the tomb and the women came, the Bible says in Mark chapter 16 and verse 6, Don't be alarmed, the angel said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Now listen to what the angel says next. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. Why do you think God gave the angels specific instructions to make sure you tell them to include Peter? They all knew what Peter did. They all knew how he had blown it, how he stuck his foot in his mouth for the hundredth time. I'll never, sure you won't, Peter. And maybe God, maybe God told the angel to say, and Peter, because he knows how prone we are to disqualify people from God's grace because of their failures. I'm pointing at all of us this morning. How easy is it for us to write people off? How easy is it for us to see somebody else's life, somebody else's pattern in their past, and say, yeah, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Not them. Not them. But the angel said, I want you to go and tell the disciples and make sure you tell Peter. Make sure you tell Peter. Because Jesus doesn't come to us where we are because of our history. Jesus comes to us where we are because of his history. And, and in Jesus' history is a cross. And on the cross, Jesus died for your sin. On the cross, Jesus died to, to rectify a right relationship between you and with God. So when he comes to you, he doesn't see you for what you've done. He sees you in light of what he's done. How many of you are thankful that God still shows up even for failures? Amen. He shows up in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our failure. The tomb is empty. And that ought to give us reason to celebrate today. But here's what I know to be true in the lives of those that experience the first resurrection. Here's what I believe to be true in your life and mine. That an empty tomb is only good news if the hope of the resurrection meets us where we are.
Maybe you're like the two men that were traveling along the Emmaus Road on Easter Sunday. They're walking along the road and they're talking. The Bible says their heads were downcast and they were sad. And then Jesus appeared. And just like he did for Mary in the garden, his identity was concealed. So they're walking with Jesus and they're talking with him and they don't know it's him. And he says to them, why are you so sad? And they said, are you the only guy visiting Jerusalem this weekend that doesn't know what happened? And so they start telling Jesus about Jesus. And and they tell him about how powerful Jesus was and how he did miracles and how his teaching was so incredible. But they said this weekend he was arrested. He was tried. He was crucified and, and he died and they buried him. The most amazing thing in all of this is that that's not all they said. They also knew that some of the women in our fellowship went to the tomb this morning and his body wasn't there. Some of the apostles, Peter and John and the others, they went to the tomb this morning and and they saw the grave clothes that were lying there and Jesus' body wasn't there. So these guys were not uninformed. It's not like they saw Jesus breathe his last breath on the cross and then they packed up and left town. They were there this morning. They saw and heard about the empty tomb. And yet, when they're telling Jesus about what happened, they they said two of the saddest words you could ever put together. In Luke 24 and verse 21, here's what they said to Jesus. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. Had hoped. There was a time in my life I believed this stuff. For some of you, you called that 2019. But, but something's happening. So, something's gone on. Something has transpired. And, and yes, you heard about the resurrection. Yes, you heard about the, the body that's not there. And even though you knew that Jesus said this is what's going to happen, the reality is hope hasn't met you where you are. And you're walking down this road and you're discouraged. The Bible says Jesus continued to walk. Here's what I love about the grace of God. Listen, I know we put a lot of stock in these moments like Easter Sunday. I got to be honest with you. My faith says this is the day everything's going to change for somebody. But can I be honest and say it doesn't always happen that way. And here's the goodness of God. He's willing to walk with you in your doubt. These guys weren't suddenly converted, you know, into these resurrection preaching men of God. No, the Bible says Jesus walked with them in their doubts. And then he began to tell them about why the cross was important. Beginning with Moses, he taught them all through the scriptures about why Jesus had to die. Still, they didn't know who he was until finally they invited him into their house and they served a meal. And the Bible says Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And I don't know if it was just something about the motion or something about the way the light was coming through the window or if the Holy Spirit just all of a sudden opened their eyes. But all of a sudden, they knew it was Jesus. And all of a sudden, hope met them where they were. And doubt turned into belief. Hope walked with them and journeyed with them to the place that they could come back to a place of belief in God. Even the, even the apostles struggled with fear. 
When Jesus was talking to the disciples before he ever went to the cross, he gave them very specific instructions. In fact, he told them many times, the Son of Man, talking about himself, he said, the Son of Man is going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. But three days later, I'm going to rise again. Don't be discouraged. Don't let your heart be troubled. In fact, in Mark chapter 14, Jesus said, you will all fall away. For it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. So Jesus told him, here's the plan, guys. I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise and then we're going to meet in Galilee. It's going to be awesome. We have a great party in Galilee. Do you know where the disciples were on Easter Sunday? It wasn't Galilee. They didn't ever leave Jerusalem. They never left the city. The Bible says they were hiding in fear behind locked doors. You know what? A lot of us, if, if we were writing this story, if we were playing the role of God, you know what we would do? We, if we were Jesus, we would have just gone to Galilee. We said, look, you know, you guys, you got to have, have more faith than that. I mean, you've got to get some courage. And I, I told you what I'm doing, and I did it. I mean, hey, I've been to hell and back. I've conquered death. I had a lot going on this weekend. I don't have to change my itinerary for you. Like, just pick up the pace here. But you know what? God doesn't do that. So Jesus changed his schedule. He conquered the cross, death, hell, and the grave. And he came back. And he recognized these guys are never coming out of that closet. They're just going to hide up there. And so on Easter Sunday night, the Bible says behind locked doors, Jesus appeared in the room. Can I just say to you today, Jesus meets us where we are. And you all look great this morning, and I appreciate you dressing up for Easter Sunday. But listen, you don't have to dress up to meet Jesus. He meets you where you are. I want to ask the worship team to, to come back. They're going to end this service and lead us in a song in a moment. But I was reading this week from writings of the Puritan theologian Thomas Goodwin. He, he lived in the 1600s. And Thomas Goodwin tells a story of a f walking behind a father and his son. And as he's walking behind the father and his son, all of a sudden the father picks up the son squeezes him in his arms, and the son just hugs his dad. And they both say, I love you. And the father kisses the son. And then he sets him back down, and they keep walking. And the question that, that Thomas Goodwin asks is this. Was that little boy more of a son to his father when he was up in his arms than he was when he was on the ground? And of course, we know the answer is No. He's no less of a son. But the difference is, in that moment in his father's arms, he was experiencing sonship. He was experiencing sonship. And the reality of the resurrection is just as true, whether you feel it or not. But the truth is, sometimes we need hope to meet us where we are. Sometimes we need to have an experience of the resurrection. And can I just tell you, whether, whether you're watching online or, or you're here as a first-time guest or maybe this is your home church, there's a lot of people right now that are praying that you would have that experience today. We've been praying for weeks. Not, not that we get the story right. Same one we told last Easter, by the way. 
The story doesn't change. The good news is the same. Jesus is alive and the empty tomb is reason to celebrate. But sometimes it's, it's not. Sometimes we know the tomb is empty and we're still walking down the road like those two men on the Emmaus journey. And we had hoped before life hit. We had hoped before our hopes were dashed. We had hoped. And we need hope to meet us there in our unbelief. For some of us, you're like Mary in the garden. Hey, I can see the tomb is empty. But she's crying. She's sad. And maybe you've got a reason today to just be sad, to just be disappointed. Just feel like, you know, I'm just let down. I, I, I thought I saw how things were going to go, and now I'm here, and this is not going the way it was supposed to go. And yeah, the tomb is empty, but I need Jesus to call my name. I need to hear that voice, that voice of my teacher. Maybe you're like the disciples, just gripped with fear. This last year's taken a toll on us. And it's, yes, we have life, resurrection life. Our eternity's secured, but man, I'm scared. I'm scared to come out from behind a locked door. I'm scared to live my life. I, I know Jesus has a plan and a purpose for me, but, but Galilee's a long ways away. I'm gonna have to pass a lot of people to get there. I, I need Jesus to come through a locked door and meet me here. And, and I, I wanna pray that for you today, that the spirit of Jesus would call your name and that he would meet you right where you're at. I wanna ask you if you'd bow your head with me all over this room. Father, today I pray right now for every person here today, regardless of whether they have known you and followed you for years, like Mary and like Peter and like the men on the Emmaus Road. Or maybe they just find themselves seeking and desiring to know and to discover if this hope really can change everything. Father, I pray today that you would call their name. I pray it more than just call their name in this moment. God, open our eyes right now to see how you've been calling our name. You loved us before we sought you. You loved us before we tuned in for a church service. God, you've been calling our name through your goodness, through your faithfulness. You've been calling our name through our friends, through the local church. You've been calling our name through our children and the laughter and the joy we see in their faces. God, you've been calling our name even through our pain, through our loss, beckoning us to turn our eyes toward Jesus. God, help us to hear your voice today. Let hope meet us right where we are. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. I want to invite you to stand with me.